And as we wait on the God of the Word to speak to us, speak through us, we just thank you, Lord. We just thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. Once again, we come to you. We surrender our body, our soul, our spirit into thy hands. Shepherd of our souls, speak to us. Help us to know the heart of our Father. Help us to know the mind of Christ. And help us to know the grace of the Holy Spirit. That our heart and our mind and our body are in tune to the will of our God. And it is only empowered by above, by your grace and your grace alone. Oh Father, help us to learn these things. So that when this lockdown is over, when we emerge out back into the world, it's a church that has been refined. It's a church that has been fed in the wilderness. A church that is raring to go to fight this good fight of faith. So speak to us once again this evening, Father. Evening for us, morning in some places, late night in other places, wherever your children are. I pray, Father, speak to us, for in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. So we we looked yesterday and this morning from Pastor Vijay to you know, getting to know the heart of the Father. And uh, when we come out, be very sure you encountered God, that you have both have zeal of the Lord and the mercy of the Lord. Both have to be there. And that's why you see those pictures in the Bible, even if it's an individual one point like Phineas, you see the zeal of the Lord, or you see Moses, who is willing to have his name taken away from the book of life, yet will stand at the doorway of the camp and say, Whoever is on the Lord, come to my side, strap your sword, go in and kill. Or you will see... Elijah standing there all alone on the mountain, pleading actually for the mercy of God to come upon Israel. And when it comes and people turn back to God, he actually says, take the prophets of Baal and slaughter them in the valley. So you have to see the new covenant parallel, which actually means that we are zealous for God in how we deal with sin in our life, yet we cry out for mercy upon the church and upon the world. So we continue. Last night we saw how God had respect toward Abel. No, and I had always had this doubt about this term respect, but now I respect that respect. I understood it better and how his thoughts, his feelings, actions, which is the sum total of faith, how it pleases God. So all these meetings, though it has been created by this particular situation called COVID-19, you can call it COVID-19 meetings if you want, but it is not COVID-19 meetings. Okay, The urgency is not caused by COVID-19. Okay, It's not caused. It is only a reason that gave us this situation where everybody is locked in their houses. You are free and in your freedom you can choose to gather around the word and we will feed you. So if you turn again to Luke chapters 21 and first turn to 7 and 8. Jesus, the disciples, yeah, 
So they asked him, teacher, but when will these things be? What sign will be there when these things are about to take place? Always, you know, whenever you talk about the last days, every man of every religion is immediately you get his attention. Attention. Whichever religion it is. Last days, eschatology catches everybody's attention. So they are also always asking. If you look (coughs) at his response, if you look at his response, (coughs) he will talk about lots of signs. Lots of signs. Okay? But first thing he says in verse 8, do not be deceived. If you go to verse 28, 8.28, when these things begin to happen, look up. Lift your heads, meaning change your attitude to what's happening outside. Verse 34, be careful, take heed to yourself, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness or cares of this world. Meaning take heed, don't get distracted either by the pleasures of this world, which is world or or the pressures of this world. And in verse 36, this is 34, verse 36. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. So in these verses, there are so many signs. Forget the signs. Okay? Everybody is good at reading signs. Okay? And uh, like I was telling you in the <laughs> afternoon, there are pastors all over the net saying like, I mean, if anybody in the past 10 years, 15 years, 20 years ever mentioned the word virus in their message, they're saying, see, I prophetically told you about this virus. This virus has been there from the time man fell. Okay, so they all, everybody is now talking about how they prophesied about this virus and all. Okay, so leave all that. Leave all this science aside. That is not what is important. What is important are the four responses to the sign. It's irrelevant we read all the signs correctly and we do not respond appropriately to the sign. That's what saves you. It's not reading of the signs. You can read all the traffic signs on the road and not obey a single one and end up in the morgue. Okay? You look at the sign, sharp turn to your left and you go straight and you will go straight to whichever place God has destined you. Okay? You read the sign correctly. But you did not respond to the sign correctly. So you will see Jesus gives four responses. First one, don't be deceived. Three times he will mention. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Don't deceive. That means that is the most important sign and the response. Be careful about deception. Okay? Second thing, change your attitude. From looking down, start looking up. Start changing your attitude. Where is your mind? Where is your heart? Are your affections towards the world or towards God? Your thoughts towards God, the kingdom of God that is coming. Okay, look up. Verse 34, don't get distracted. The world has much to offer. Even during this time, even if you are locked in, the government says they will see rations are delivered. 
Okay, if you see the poor slums we have around, you will see, you know, they all live in one room with these government-made uh, toilets at the end of it, and government is prom- prom- promising them money and ration to be delivered. But if you look at all their houses, small little shanties, what is common about all their houses? The dish about their now, have you noticed our house, there is no dish, satellite, dish antenna, anything over there. But you will see all of them have dish above satellite. So it's a good opportunity for them if the government gives them food and money and free power. Their power is practically free. Okay, and dish antenna. Everybody as soon as they got their money invested in a TV and, you know, so you can be sitting in your houses and you can be distracted either by pleasure or you can worry, 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 pressure. After this, I have lost my job. These many days of salaries, my children, exams have gone. I don't know how. The, you can be distracted by pleasure or pressure. God has said that's how it is. You have to read it. Put it under two things. Okay. So don't be deceived. Change your attitude to the things of God. Don't get distracted. And verse 36 says, watch and pray. Watch and pray. Don't just pray. Don't just pray. Watch and pray. You have to be very watchful. Because you have seen this online thing is very, very good. And you will see a lot of people have gone online. A lot of people have gone. It's incredibly good. Churches are online and they are beaming worship services and messages and all. Okay, it's good. Watch. But I don't know how many of them are really watching. Many of the churches have just worship services. But if you look at that, men wearing hats, women all loose flying around. So the, all the seasons they never watched. They never watched. And even at a time like this, they are not watching. They are not watching. We have to be very careful about how we pray and how we praise and how we worship. Our heart could be the, the, the most zealous heart and you can never question David's heart when he was bringing the ark to Jerusalem. But our first trip ended in a death and fear and panic and the ark remained in somebody's house for three months. And only when he got it right, meaning the Levites went back and watched what was written. And they realize this is not the way to worship God. Okay, so actually so much of spiritual activity is going totally waste because we are not watching. We are praying. We are praising. We are preaching. Three things that are happening during this lockdown in churches. Praising, praying, and preaching. But we are not watching. And Jesus did not say just pray. He said watch. Watch carefully. We need to watch God. Watch God's ways, understand God's ways, and that's what the Bible says. Moses, in spite of all that he had been trained in, he could he could actually say, like Lord, whatever you are calling me, are you calling for me a battle? I am a trained general. I led the Pharaoh's army. That's what secular history says. I won all these battles for him. I was in succession to the throne because the Pharaoh could put anybody he wanted on the throne. You want to lead a battle? I am the man. You want a smart, intelligent man? I have been trained all in the wisdom of the uh, of the Egyptians. Or else, okay, fine. You don't want either of these three. You want a shepherd in this wilderness who can take these people. You know what? I was 40 years a shepherd. In this entire crowd, I am the only one who knows this wilderness. 
In all these three ways, you could have stand before God and say, you know, man, God, I know you handpicked me because I'm qualified. That's not what he prays. He says, Lord, if I have found grace in your sight, these are your people. If I need to take these people from here to there to safety, teach me your ways. Teach me your ways. That was his prayer. Teach me your ways. And because of that prayer, we get everything else, the revelation of God, the five books of Moses. The five books of Moses is because in his heart he wanted to know the ways of God. And in Psalm 103 and verse 7, scripture says, God showed his ways to Moses and his deeds, acts to the people. He only showed his ways to the moment. And it is so important that we watch and we understand the ways of God. And then that ways of God goes into our praise, into our prayer and into our preaching. Because we have understood how God functions. Okay, how God, it's very, very important. It's really, really important that we understand the ways of God. Okay, really, really. And that's what a lot of activity is happening. And we ourselves need to be very, very careful that our praise, our prayer and our preaching is connected with how God wants to handle. So there is this science given and the responses. God is expecting four responses. He talks about it. And the first response is, don't get deceived. And I know personally I can get deceived in my praise. I know I can get deceived in my preaching. I know I can get deceived in my prayer. All of us are susceptible to to deception. So how do you guard yourself from deception? By the first promise Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in the spirit that you are always a beggar before God. In these spiritual things, Lord, I need you. Yesterday was good. Fine, Lord, thank you. But today I need you again, Lord. I need to hear from you again, Lord, so that I don't go wrong. I have this habit of going wrong. I may know the word, but I need to know you again today, Lord. Speak. So we have to be very, very, very careful about it because all this is connected with a situation right now that is happening over here. So let's take in the natural. COVID-19 came into the news like by January, Feb, it was full blown. And all the signs were there, physical signs were there. Imagine you are in Hyderabad, because you are in Hyderabad, let's take it. You are in Hyderabad and you are well to do. You stay in Jubilee Hills and you are well to do. And you got a farmhouse in the outskirts. You saw this, you read the signs carefully, you saw different nations, you know, it's going to come and this is what you need to do. You stocked your farmhouse with all the things needed for six months. Food, water, your backup generator, you have diesel, you got everything over there. Okay. You got it all. And you sit there. You got everything. You prepared really well. You spread the signs carefully. You went there and you spent six months watching Netflix. You played. And the signs are over. Epidemic is over. You come out untouched. Okay. So in the natural also, (laughs) spiritual also, we can make the same mistake. He went in, he came out. But if you look inside, he is totally unchanged. Unchanged. He went, came out the way he went in. The thing is that we can also come out the way we went in. Because we didn't realize. If you turn to with me, let me explain to you. Ephesians chapter 6, 13 onwards, we know it very well, but I will just read a couple of verses, maybe 13 to 18 actually is that 
Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Okay, and everything is there. Okay, no, you went straight to 15 and skipped 14. Okay, put on, okay, it begins by, okay, the belt of truth or the whole armor of God. Everything is put over there, pray, pray, pray. Finally, you end up with praying. Okay, we know the whole thing, all brothers who are new. Go back and hear, this is the entire thing about warfare, spiritual warfare. But let's go back to verse 13. Okay, what is the purpose behind all this thing that is being talked about? It's a day of evil. It's a day of evil. Okay, day of, there is deception. There is day of evil coming. There is a day. It's a big day. There's an evil day that will come. That you are prepared for that. That there is a deceiver who will deceive you in such a way that you are not prepared for that day. And the day will come to everybody's life. Everybody. Do you know what is the actual day of evil? The actual day of evil is to die unprepared. Unprepared. That's the day of evil. To die unprepared. You see, one thing we need to realize is death is inevitable. Okay? Even when this epidemic is gripped the whole world in fear, the truth is that more people are dying, not from this epidemic. <laughs> they are dying of other diseases and other reasons. You can look and find out the actual death toll outside of China. China and North Korea don't believe their death toll. Because they are regimes that always lie to their own people. That's the problem with the atheistic systems. They don't fear God, so they don't believe in honesty. You know, they don't have to fear God. They don't have to worry about truth. You know, whatever they say is truth for them. Okay, so don't believe. But other death tolls, you know, the death toll is over there, and you will say, "Ha, huh, wait a second. Don't more people die in Hyderabad in road accidents than that?" Okay, so it's COVID nineteen is not the issue. The issue is death. Death is inevitable. And we know the famous words about death in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27. All of you are watching, whether you are a little child or an older person, there is something that nobody can escape. Nobody knows that time of your death, only God. As it is appointed for men to die once, everybody will die. And the problem is not that after what is written after that, but after this is the Judgment. But if it is written, but after this it is nirvana, then death doesn't hold fear. But after this it is bliss. After this is a sea of forgetfulness. You take judgment of half of the fear connected with death is gone. Death is gone. It is appointed for men to die once, but after this is ki sarah sarah. <laughs> you see, you take judgment of suddenly a lot of things connected with the epidemic also goes. No judgment. <laughs> That's not the issue though. Issue here, we are forgetting what is the lesson God is trying to teach us from COVID-19. It is not COVID-19. You see, COVID-19 is de- leading to death and death is terrifying. And God says, it's not death that is terrifying. Because everybody will die. It's something you are terrified, but it's still unavoidable. You will have to. You will have to face that day. But what is terrifying is judgment. 
Not only that, <laughs> judgment. Jesus drew a terrifying picture of an unprepared life encountering death. Forget all the apostles. Jesus drew. He preached more on hell than on heaven. Okay, more about hell than heaven. Jesus did. Look at the picture he gives in Mark chapter 9, 43 to 48. Six verses. Six verses. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands to go to hell into fire that shall never be quenched. So he says, be very careful about your actions. Your actions ultimately when you die will lead you to hell. And let me tell you about hell, he says. There the fire never goes out. Where their worm does not die and fire is not quenched. Okay, like, let's, let's stay there. Two verses already he talked about the fire and he talked about the worm. Now they understand and if we really think we will understand. What happens is when everybody dies, doesn't matter how much you love that person, you want that person buried. Because you know after some time the worms will come. Okay? The worms come in and you know, you just put something outside over there, the worms come. Any vegetable, anything. After a day, worms come and the worms eat it all and they go. Little later, nothing is left there. The worms have eaten, the worms have disappeared. But here he says, your body won't disappear. The worms will be alive. And you will be aware of it. You don't get a new body. You get your old body, which is not going to perish. I'm going to put you in hell. Or you actually bought your ticket to hell. With a fire never, if your body is consumed by fire, then there is no more pain left, right? Body is not consumed by fire, nor is your body consumed by worms. Where the fire does, it shall never be quenched, and the worm does not die. Let's go next verse. And if your foot causes to sin, that is your walk. Cut it off. Cut it off. He said drastic with the way you deal with your actions and your walk. Cut it off. Rather than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm does not die, and the fire is not quenched. And then, if your eye causes you to sin, then he is going, okay, he's moving from action to walk, and to what causes it, your sight. Pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye, rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell, hell fire. Where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Six times he talks about it in six verses. The fire does not quenched. Worm does not die. Worm he maybe mentioned three or four times. Okay, be very, very careful. The issue is not death. Everybody will die. The issue is with judgment. That is why we have to take the messages we hear very, very, very seriously. Very, very seriously because prepare your, our spirits. God is giving the church a time of contemplation. Sit back and take a recap on your life. He gave us a picture of the rich man in hell, Lazarus. And he doesn't talk about Lazarus in Abraham's bosom. He said, don't worry about that. 
Don't worry. That you will experience if you come to there. It's nothing. I cannot describe to you what heaven is like. But I will tell you about hell. And he gave us a picture. Man. In fire. In agony. In thirst. In Revelation 14 and verse 11. And then later, Revelation 20. The end of those who were deceived by the enemy. Revelation 14 verse 11. The deception of the enemy. And the smoke of their torment ascends for Ever and ever. So there is fire, there is worm, there is smoke. And they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. And that's what everything is happening through the COVID-19. What is the system trying to do? Trying to get people all into herds, put them all in, trying to track using all technology. Because technology has to come, the demons and the humanity has to come together, dispensations have to come together so that you have the technology to put your mark and see that Everybody receives the mark. Okay, so everything you see, and this is nothing go to COVID. I really don't believe this has got nothing to do with the virus. I really believe it's got to do with 5G. Okay, but I am not a technological expert, but I know there is an agenda behind the whole thing to shut the whole world down like this. And it's all got to do with this, receiving the mark. But God says, let me warn you before the mark comes and the technology is being set that people are being countered, people are being numbered, people are being uh, being monitored, people are being followed, everything you are being through the system that has been created and he says ultimately you will have to take the mark and you will have to make a choice will you or will you not and if you take his mark and you go on to the other side he says this is your end this is your end they will make it so nice, they will use either saying it's so easy or they will say if you don't you cannot buy or sell, you will get nothing you will get nothing, okay so these are things we prepare for. So eternity is not a joke. It's the most serious decision man will ever make in life. In Revelation 20 verse 10 and then in verse 15. In 10 he will put the deceivers, the three kingpins put over there. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire, the brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. These are the deceivers and their minions, millions of them. And verse 15, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Okay, so please, please, dear brethren who are hearing, and I know all of GTC is not listening. Note that many of you are not listening, though you are sitting in your homes and you have the time, and uh, you can make time, and I'm telling you, you will not get a time like this again. So it's not a joke, and life on earth Earth compared to eternity, whether in heaven or hell, hell, life on earth is just like a vapor, just like seconds. Okay? So take heed. God is not talking about COVID-19 or any calamity or famine or war or anything. He's actually talking us to prepare for judgment after death. Death will come one way or other. And this virus is only a sign of death. Exams to children, you know, exams have been postponed. They are not cancelled. They are only postponed. They are not cancelled. Ultimately, eventually, you will have to write your exam and the results will be declared. So even if you come through COVID-19, death has only been postponed. It is not cancelled. It's not cancelled. Okay. So there is a day mentioned in the Bible with a capital D. 
And after knowing all the signs, studying and attending seminars on last days, and if people do not prepare, then it was pointless. Just pointless. Illustration, I'm just getting illustrated. Put this point across. Because you can get people to do anything except prepared spiritually. If anything with the intellect, soul, anything with the body, you can still get a lot of people. But spiritually people to meet God, it's a very difficult exercise. Illustration. Imagine Indian Army. The officers are all there in the academy and soldiers. No, They receive all their instructions. Okay, and they are being taught your your potential enemy is Pakistan. This is their nature. This is how they fight. This is how all that. And these are the signs. And don't worry, we are watching them 24-7 on our satellites, tracking every movement. And you're giving them all the training necessary about the enemy, the signs of the enemy, the movement of the enemy, everything. And all the officers... Sit, listen, take notes, give each other a hi-fi, and then they go back to their homes and watch movies. Yeah. The most foolish thing they could ever do. Army won't allow that. Their safety doesn't lie in knowing all the signs of the enemy, but in preparing for it every day. So you will see them training, 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 practicing war, training every day. Yearly they have really huge simulated battles, all for a day that may not actually happen. And there are so many soldiers who have entered into a life in the services, trained all their life, but never faced a day of active duty, war, and retired. So yeah. Okay. In the same way, for 2000 years, the church has been prepared every generation for the day of the Lord. And they may have prepared and lived and died without seeing the coming of Jesus Christ. But everybody was prepared for that day. And everybody died. So these two eventualities are there. The day of your death or the day of his coming. But 2000 years, the message never changed. Even the first letter in the new covenant is written to prepare people for that day. Don't worry, don't worry. First Thessalonians, second Thessalonians is written for that. Okay. So in your lifetime, you may, may not face a day of war like a soldier, but you are preparing every day for battle. That's how a believer lives. The day of the Lord could be my death or the day of actual day of the Lord's coming. So what is the only thing common between the day of your death and the day of the Lord? Judgment. Prepare. Yemos, I think, right? It says, prepare to meet your maker. Okay. So Hebrews is talking about faith. Hebrews 11 especially is talking about faith. And we looked at Corinthians 13, 13. Faith, love, and hope. The greatest of this is, is love. But there is something called hope. Something called hope, which is very important. That's why it's put, these three are put right there. Okay? Faith is connected with what we are doing now. But whatever you do now has got a future application. If faith does not have a reward, which is in the future, 
then faith will disappoint you. It is impossible to please God without faith because anyone who comes to God must believe that he is and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And the Bible in Hebrews 11 gives an entire record of all these people and scripture says none of them received. They were waiting for a day. So there is hope even when you live by faith. And what is the hope? The hope is the hope of glory. Hope of glory. One day, one day, God will reveal how my walk was, how how my life was. And there is a hope of glory. And the Bible also tells us, okay, he tells us, you know what? You can actually grow in your hope. Because what is your actual hope? Christ in you, the hope of glory. And it's very easy. When I look inside, you know, all of us know. That's why Paul is, doesn't want to die in the first letters and all. <laughs> he doesn't want to die. He's not ready to die and all in the first letter. It's towards the end he's ready. Because Christ is grown. Because all of us know how much of us is living and how much of Christ is living. You can't fool yourself by the, by now. How much of self is there and how much of Christ is there. Okay? So Christ in me is a hope of glory. That's a hope of glory. Okay? Incredible hope of glory. But Bible says there is only one place, one place, where you can be 100% assured of hope. It says in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18 and 19, that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation, who have fled for refuse to lay hold of the hope, Set before. There's a hope set before us. Okay, there's a hope set before. It's it's there in the future. But you can grab hold of it in your present, in your inner man, even though it's in the future. How do I, how does it happen? This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, but sure and steadfast. Where does it go? Which enters the presence. Not just behind the veil. You can enter behind the veil and there is no presence. <laughs> it is pointless, right? Behind the veil. Which enters the presence. So God says, I divide. If you look in the word of God, my division, I believe, is right. You divide the world as, or your, your spiritual world you are living in, even as you are walking, into four areas. First area is the world. Second area is the outer courts. Third area is the holy place. Fourth area is the most holy place. So there are four places. And all who are saved have come out of the world. So technically there should be only Three places. You are no longer of the world, but you go to the world, but you are not of the world. So you know very clearly your identity is not with the world. You don't worry like the world. You don't think like the world. You don't function like the world. You are not confirmed like the world, but you live in the world. But you know you have these three places. So these three places is outer courts, holy place, and most holy place. Okay? And scripture says there is one place. One place where you can have Absolute, sure, steadfast hope, even as you walk by faith. You can experience God in the outer courts, but He is not there. You can experience, because He is not seated there. You can experience God in the holy place, but He is not seated there. Jesus is seated in the most holy place beside the Father. And the invitation is, come there. 
That's what symbolically it means when Jesus died, the curtain was rent. That is the curtain that separated the most holy place from the holy place. Okay. So once we are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, the invitation is always to come there by faith. We saw that yesterday, Hebrews 10. Verses uh, 19 to 23. Hebrews 10 verses 19 onwards. Okay. Therefore, brethren, having boldness. Boldness to enter what? The holiest. Not the outer courts. Not the holy place. He says, come on, brethren. Come on, brethren. By the time he comes to the 10th chapter, he says, come on, come on. You should have the 6th. He says, you should have this steadfast hope. By 10th, he says, have boldness. Don't be scared. To the holiest by the blood of Jesus Christ, by a new and a living way, which he has consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh. Okay, we have to come through the veil. That is his flesh, his body, his blood. Okay, we won't get into that. Okay, further down. Having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Okay, faith comes again. Full assurance of faith. Having our heart sprinkled from an evil conscience. Okay, heart begins with the heart, the core of your spirit. Our bodies washed with pure water. Again, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without. So your faith and your hope has to be steadfast. For he who promised is faithful. So the invitation is always to come there. Okay, invitation is always to come there. Okay, so you have the old covenant model given to us. The pictures in the old covenant is all, they poor, poor people, no? We feel sorry for them too, because they didn't understand any of these things. God in his sovereignty decided this set of people will be born on that side of the cross, this set of people will be born on this side of the cross, and we are blessed to be born on this side, okay? So look at them with sympathy, okay? Don't be hard on the Old Testament saints if you meet them in heaven, okay? Don't be hard and say, I understand, okay? I love you. Okay, give a hug to Joshua and Caleb and all that, okay? Okay, don't be too hard because if they had, if they, if their zeal and our knowledge, okay, they would give us a run for the money, okay? So, so in the old covenant, you will see the picture in the tabernacle. We all know the picture in the tabernacle, okay? The tabernacle is made and they are in the wilderness now and the tabernacle is divided into three parts, the old uh, outer courts, the holy place, and the most holy place. And we know when this, what you call it, blueprint was being given in up there in the mountain, they went haywire down. So the 12 tribes, 11 tribes lost their right to enter, go in solely. One tribe will go from outer courts into the holy place. Okay. Now, actually a census is done. That's why it's called the book of Numbers. And you need to realize when the book of Numbers, the census is done, of 11 tribes, God says, count the males who are 20 plus. And the actual number is 3 lakh. That means uh, those who are outside India don't understand the term lakh. Lakh is an Indian word. It's not an English word. You don't understand lakh. Lakh means 100,000. 1 lakh is 100,000. So 600,000, 3,550 males above the age of 20 and above was the total number in the outer courts, that is 11 tribes. The Levites who were counted, the order was different. Count everyone one month and above. 
not one year and above one month and above okay so you need to realize there are so many children in the outer courts their age is different but if you have three years is what god gives you the new covenant to enter into the holy place to become a teacher three years okay three years so the priesthood is counted differently they counted from one month they are not counted from 20 years one month okay and when they are counted actually it is 22000 22000 and the first born of every other 11 tribes the first born has to be ready actually the first born of all the tribes should have been priests but because they goofed up god says no only the levites but you will redeem all the first born so what happens is you have 22000 levites and 22273 first born among all the others so 273 has to be redeemed how do you redeem it by silver and gold okay so moses has to go to all these 273 get the money and give it to aaron and the sons because 273 are extra among this 22000 levites 22000 273 first born among that's the that's the law and when you come to the most holy place one person i'm not even counting aaron there because aaron just went for a function <laughs> ritual and came out moses is the only one who went in and went out went in and went out so if you look at outer courts how many people 6 lakh 3550 people Holy place, how many people? Twenty-two thousand. And most holy place, how many? One. Old Testament picture given to us. Okay. It, these are. I mean, we don't do a mathematical calculation, dividing pope. We don't. Just give God is just giving you a picture. God is just giving you a picture. Let's leave Joshua and Caleb alone. But look at that. 600,000 and we don't know the actual number of levites among that 22 who were 20 plus we don't know all of them died in the wilderness different ways but that came to all of them all of them died the eleven tribes died the levites in the holy place died and moses also died only death that was spectacular was moses the man who entered the holy place god walked with him to his death he knew when he was dying he knew the day of his death he knew his moment of death and god was with him in his death so all three categories died differently death is inevitable but they did not die the same way the man in the holy place did not die the same way so please please understand this if our church gtc gtcs persevere these days of lockdown persevere meaning you really have to persevere to listen to the word and study the word during this time you will come out different actually all this weeks or months and years of teaching was okay so prepare for a time like this you have your free will are you listening or not are you preparing or not i definitely believe 
deep inside, the church that emerges after this lockdown will never be the same again. Never be the same again. They will either, once that will either fall apart, because the lockdown did not work. Okay, two people were locked down in the wilderness. First generation and second generation. Both were locked down. Went through the same thing. One just died. The other came out powerful. The lockdown doesn't change you. The lessons you learn in the lockdown is what changes you. Okay. So let us look into the New Testament parallel or pattern of the Old Testament tabernacle. Since in the New Testament, God does not call the building the temple. He calls the people the temple. In the Old Testament, the building was called the temple. So he divided the building into three groups. In the New Testament, he calls the people his temple. So he divides the people into three groups. So we go to 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 to 14. I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. Forgiven you for his name's sake. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the fathers. I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you. And you have overcome the wicked one. So there, God divides humanity, or so the church, new covenant church, into three groups. Okay? Children, young men, and fathers. If you want to take a leaf from Israel's history... The children were the first generation who came out. Joshua, Caleb, and the second generation were the young men. And there was one father in their midst called Moses. One father. Okay, one father was there. When we were born in the body, or born again in the spirit, everybody is born as a baby or as a child. Okay, Chinna, Chinna, Papa. Okay, baby. So we will look at the children first, because they are called little children. We will have to look at the children first. First, when we look at a child, the outer courts children, outer courts people, we look at the good things about the child, because every place there is good. Okay, good things about the child. Pointed out by Jesus himself. Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 to 5. Matthew 18, verses 1 to 5. At that time, Jesus came to, disciples came to Jesus and saying, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? They are also children. Okay, children only ask these questions. Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them. Meaning always it's a crowd surrounding him. So he will sit down, put him in the middle. And he said, Assuredly I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. First thing he asks, talks about is to enter itself, you need to become like a child. And then, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And five, whoever receives one little child like this in my name, receives me. He tells us a few things. And these are the things 
you should never lose in your life because it is connected with how we came to Christ. These are the things the church in Ephesus in Revelation 2 lost. These are the things the, the you know there's something about the love of a child for the parent. It doesn't have much knowledge or understanding or all, but you know that the little one just loves you. And when that little one comes and gives you three, four, five, six, this thing, it makes your day. It makes your day. Okay. And he puts over there and says, first thing he says, to enter like a child, you need to have the faith of this child. The faith of a child, the trust of a child is very implicit. Like I said, the only set of people who are not worrying through COVID-19 are the children, unless they pass the parents, pass the fear on to them. They are not worried at all. They're having a blast. They're having a real, they're the only ones who are really, really enjoying life now because they have absolutely, they, they trust. They trust you implicitly. I still remember 2004, January, I had gone to Mumbai for my first time to Mumbai. And I had, uh, I was with David and uh, I was, I was there only for one day or two days and my little girl was there and she was, she was just a small kid. Nine, nine years or eight years or something, you know, no, ten years old kid. And, uh, he dropped me at Kalyan station and he went back and he switched his phone off. I am at Kalyan station and the train is coming from Mumbai. I'm coming to Hyderabad. And of all things, I put my hand into my pocket and realized there's a hole in my pocket and my ticket is gone. Ticket is in there. And I'm at Kalyan station. And I hear the announcement, train is coming. Now the problem is your ticket is gone. And you got a little kid with you. And you're in a strange place. You don't know how to go back, where to go back. I don't know Mumbai at all. I know one person who's in Mumbai. He switched his phone also off. And I'm sitting with this child. And I looked at my little girl and said, you know, baby, daddy lost his ticket. And she looked at me and she smiled. Meaning that's your problem. <laughs> I am not afraid. Okay. I am not afraid. So I remember my, I remember my always, you know, my boggy number and everything and all I prayed, Lord, I got this little kid, I can't go back, I need to get in the train, I remember but this thing, Lord, I said, Lord, uh, when the train stops, when the stops right over there, Lord, let me see a TT. I wouldn't believe the train came and it was exactly my compartment and the TT was standing by the door. I said, sir, I got a problem, I lost my ticket, but this is my compartment. He said, get in with your child. <laughs> Get it with your child, okay? So then he said, what's your name? This thing, And I said, he said, not a problem. We have a rule for this. And he was in very, actually, he was in very sure. I know railways, everything left, right. And I said, sir, this is the rule for a lost ticket. He said, okay, okay, thank you, thank you, thank you. Because I have read all this stuff because I'm always fascinated with railways. Okay, so I told him this is the rule and he just wrote it. I had to pay something and we had our own births and all. But the question, the point is that you, you realize, you know that, the trust of a child in the parent, the faith of a child in the parent, God says that's how you enter into the kingdom of God. Implicit. The father has said something, you believe it. And our problem is our children lose our trust because we forget. The little fellow will come tottering and says, bye. And when you come back, we don't forget my chocolate. Okay. And we forget. And he's waiting at the door. Daddy's come chocolate. We were busy, whatever. This fellow told at 7, 8 in the morning, chocolate. It's 8 in the evening, but it, he, chocolate. 
First day we forget, second day forget, third day forget. That's how distrust comes. That's why we always say, don't promise your children too many things. And when you promise, keep it. Because they need to trust their God one day. We model God when our children are small. Okay, because trust, that way, trust, trust. Okay, trust has to be earned. And the first thing Jesus teaches is that, you know what, the greatest is the one who trusts me. And second thing, who is so humble. The child, you know, is very humble. Little children, very, very humble. They don't even know what humility is. They don't have to pretend to be humble. It's natural for them. It's very natural for them. Until they start learning from us. Third thing about child is that a child is very innocent. Evil is all around, but it is innocent. In Romans 16 and verse 19, this is what the Bible says. The God of peace will soon put Satan under our feet. Okay, that's how. But I want you to be wise in what is good, simple, innocent. NKJ, um, NIV, I think, will say, innocent concerning evil. Not ignorant. As we grow, we cannot be ignorant about evil. We will get to know evil. We see evil all around. All around, we being evil, being practiced. But God says, grow up with the innocence of the child towards evil. And not ignorance. Ignorance can kill you. Can kill you. Innocent about what is evil. So the first thing Jesus brings a child and says, have the faith of a child. Be humble like a child. And be innocent about evil. Like a child. Okay? Not ignorant. So you have pictures in the Bible of little Samuel. Innocent of evil in the midst of evil. Not ignorant. He sees it all. You have a little young Joseph growing innocent of evil in the midst of evil. He's not ignorant. Or Daniel, innocent of evil, not ignorant in the Babylonian culture. All of them grew up in an incredibly evil environment. So the first thing God talks about children is these qualities should be there. That's how we come into the kingdom of God. Okay? They have no ego. They are... Humility comes naturally to them. And then, that's what he says in verse 4, right? Matthew 18. Matthew 18, verse 4. Right? Whoever humbles himself. That's one thing. You now see, the only time I went on a stage before God called me to ministry was when I was a child. When you are like five years and all, your mother dresses up you for the drama and all, you are not least bothered about something, one big mustache and stood there with the bow and arrow because you don't care who looks at you, what do you look like. All these things are not, like, no, it's not a problem at all. Right? This is the problem. Now, if you deal only with children, I mean, if if only all, like if all the children, people in the church are just children, three years to between five years, it's not a very difficult thing to have. People in the Sunday school is very difficult. It is not. If the parents just get out and leave them alone with us. Okay? The problem is the church is full of children. Overgrown children. That's why you have to come to this place called leadership. How you handle these children. That's why I hate weddings. I hate 
birthday parties i hate all these things because you always have to move around the egos of people okay you call me i didn't call that was was that one wasn't called okay you didn't call me for the 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 wedding that one was called or you called on the phone but that one got a card okay all our children sitting over there so many are children and you have to know you have to be careful about a birthday party you went for that one's party you didn't go for this one's party you know the babies are not the problem here the babe the problems are the overgrown babies in the church you have to sit with pastors to realize how tormenting it is all these events for them because it creates so much trouble afterwards the couple will get married and go Okay, married and go. No, but you need to realize why in the new covenant there are no events. Only one event: baptize them, let them all die to the flesh, and then let them part, take part of communion every time, so that they will continue to die in the flesh. So, children—that is the issue with the children, with overgrown children. What will people think? Okay. So God is saying be childlike but don't be childish. But on the other hand, children give us the most joy and also the greatest trouble if they don't grow up. Mature. Not growing old, growing up. Okay? That's King Lear who grew old and never grew up. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 11. 1 Corinthians, when I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, when I became a man, I put away childish things. Okay. One of the things which I, when I counsel pastors, when they say, what should I do with this one, I do that. I said, how old is that person? No, 70s, 80s. I said, okay, the issue is that this person never grew up. So what is happening? They are going through their second childhood. They are going through their second childhood. Okay, the issue is here. With the first one, you can correct them, you can be tough with them, make them sit in the corner and all those things. You can't do that with them. The Bible says, no, treat them in a particular way. So I just ignore them. Just ignore them. Don't say anything, ignore them. Don't feed their tantrums, just ignore them. I learned this term from another senior pastor. He says, some people are called necessary evil. Because if you turn them the wrong way, they will create more trouble for you. So just leave them alone. The evil they create if you are silent is less than the evil they will create if you are loud. So leave them alone. Because they never grew up. They never grew up. And if they don't grow up, just leave them alone. He said, when I grew up, I put away childish things. And there are a lot of people who have not left up childish things. They still act like a child. Okay, a child that never grew up. They grew up in their body, but they never grew up. So again, now we come back to the core. Who are the most vulnerable to deception? Children. That's why all our instructions are to children. Okay, when you go out, don't talk to a stranger. If a stranger gives chocolate, don't take a chocolate, this thing. We give all instructions to children about safety because they are the most vulnerable to deception. Okay. And Jesus warned 
deception, 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 deception. And where are the crowds? In the outer courts, even today. Outer courts, full, packed. And they're very vulnerable. In Old Covenant, all the warnings were being given to the children. I am taking to this place. This is what the nature of those people is. Don't be like them. Don't worship their gods. Don't imitate their habits. Don't be, 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 don't be. First generation did not listen to a single of the advice. The minute Moses is gone, they just want to be like them. All the instructions were given to children. They didn't listen. The only restraining influence was Moshe. New covenant also warnings are given. Lot of warnings are given. Spiritual warnings to the children. In Ephesians chapter 4 verses 14 and 15. Ephesians 4 verse 14 and 15. That we should no longer be children. What is the nature of children in the church? Tossed to and fro, carried about every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men. Today it is gold dust, tomorrow will be nuggets. Another day, new preacher comes, he says, I have a golden umbrella. They are running from place to place to place to place to place. Maybe sitting in their room, but going through different, different, different. Anything that catches their fancy. Every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Okay, He says, don't be children when it comes to doctrine. That's why I said this thing. Now, can you sit down and listen for four hours? Okay, we are giving you a crash course in 21 days or whatever days it is. Can you sit down? But speaking the truth in love, and what's the key word over there? Grow up. Grow up in spiritual things. Grow up. Easily deceived. Easily deceived. Grow up. Why? Because children confuse children in the, I'm talking about children not in the terms of a little child, but the ones who are young in the Lord, in the kingdom of God. They confuse feelings with faith. No feelings can be a part of faith. Feelings is not faith. They confuse feelings with faith. That's the problem. And then pastors have to preach continuously to their feelings to keep them in the church. And if you can motivate their feelings, they will give you out of their granary also. They will fill the money bag if you preach to their feelings. And the pastors know. That's what is called deceitful trickery of men. Craftiness, trickery of preachers. Cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. They are already plotting. Okay, I know this one, this one, this one, this one, this one, this one, okay, this one. This is working in Amazon. That is in Google. And when last month tithe I saw how much they are. So this is what they put. So if this is their tithe, then I know what their salary is. Good. I know how to get them. I know how to appeal to their feelings. And they confuse feelings for faith. Okay, easily. Galatians 4.19 Another problem with children, because they are not established in Christ. My little children, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in me. What is that? They will easily go back to the law or religion. Why do children like religion? 
Why do children like religion? Religion has visual objects. Visual objects. Okay. What is the first thing the children of Israel said when Moses went up? Make us something we can see, hold, carry. All religions are visual objects. All religions are visual, except the true, genuine believer who doesn't have a visual, visual object, who is framed, his worship is framed in truth and in spirit. Even Muslims have, they have a stone there in Kaaba, and they have to stone it, and they feel they have stoned the devil. The devil is sitting and laughing. He says, you are stoned. <laughs> you are stoned. So they all have visuals. All have visual. Every religion has visual objects. And Catholicism is full of visual objects. Because, no, that's the nature of children. Children cannot walk in truth and spirit. So they have, they need visual. And we cannot feed that visual. And if you look at all childish churches, it's all visual. That's why they need all these props. They need, because children need all that. Children need all that. But the call is to walk in spirit and truth. Okay? I'm talking the nature of children, so we judge our own hearts. First Corinthians chapter 3, 1 to 3. My little children, okay. And brethren, I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal babes in Christ. What do you say in Telugu? Chinna, chinna papa. In Christ, but chinna papa. What could I give you? Palu. <laughs> I, I fed you with milk. This reminds me of Mataliga. First thing opens. Apu, alu. Okay, that's how children all come and sit in church. Palu. And not with solid food. For until now, you are not able to receive it. And even now, you are still not able to. How do you know you are a child? You are carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions, you are a child in Christ. You are a child in Christ. You haven't grown, actually. You got gifts. You are using gifts. You haven't grown. Fighting. You have seen children fighting over things? My time, my time, my time, my time, my time, fighting. That's what is happening in the children in the Corinthian church. They all have gifts. And they're fighting over gifts. Paul says, can I have some order in this church, please, please? At least three of you prophesy and the others listen. No, we all are standing in line to prophesy. We all have gifted. That's what the problem in the older children in the first generation. Are you only holy? God speaks through all of us. That's children. Envy. The problem in the Corinthian church is that everybody wants to prophesy. Everybody has a word of knowledge. Everybody has wisdom. Everybody wants to lead worship. And if you ask them, can they sing? Yes, they all can sing. But the problem is, should they sing? No. Are you seeing the picture? They struggle. Children. Hebrews 4.13 Is it 4.13? Oh, 5.13, 5.13, not 4.13, For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of 
righteousness. For he is a baby. What is the nature of a baby? Totally unskilled in the teaching of righteousness. They may know the Bible by heart, but they don't know the teaching about righteousness. Because you are supposed to be, when you are growing, you are growing in the righteousness of God. The nature, character of God. They are unskilled in it. They are babes. They are babes. They are totally unskilled. So what you have around the world is play schools, not churches. It's play schools. You can't teach them. You can't teach them. It's very difficult to teach them. Very difficult to teach them. Like if our church format had changed to 45 minutes, what the church would have been packed, would have been having five services. Because how many people told me? They thought they were giving me good advice. Cut down the word. But we were called for something else. They cannot handle. Children cannot. They need all visual audio aids. Everything they need. Drama, cantata. No. In between the message, costumes, all kind of jugad has to take place. Have you ever taught a child at a primary section? Have you noticed? You can't even teach a child ABCD without appealing to its feelings, emotions, and its sensory capabilities. No, you teach them. Sit there. A, A, B, B. After that, loses attention. So, how do you teach ABCD? A, B, C, D, E, F, G. You have to sing it. Alphabets. Otherwise, they won't learn. A for apple. B for... And the teacher has to dance and do everything. And that's what's happening in churches. Full of babies. You have dance, drama, and very little teaching. Even in the time of lockup, you can only give them a five minutes, seven minutes clip on encouraging them. That's all they can handle. The problem is not with the children. The problem is they've been sitting in the church for 25 years. That's the problem. If they're new kids, I don't have no issues at all. Because we are looking at the day of judgment. Shouldn't become a day of destruction. They need visuals. They need festivals. They need festivities. The problem with the child. If you go to 1 John chapter 2, 12. They know the father. But how do they know the father as? Write to little children because your sins are forgiven for his name. Okay. If you know. Were you naughty today? Yes. Yes. Don't be again. Okay? Okay. Love you so much, daddy. He also knows the father. How does he know the daddy as? As a forgiver. And if you're a little mad with them, cut it. That's how a lot of people leave church. Cutty. Pastor was too hard at me. <laughs> Children who will never learn. What do they know? All they know is the forgiveness of sins. What did the people in the outer courts in the old tabernacle actually know? What was happening in the outside? Only mercy offerings. That's all they knew. Forgiveness of sins, nothing else. Confess, forgive. Confess, forgive. Confess, forgive. Did they ever know what was happening inside? No. 
They have no knowledge of it. And the much of Christianity only knows of the forgiveness of. And you know what they hear also? They only know about how loving God is, how kind God is, how compassionate God is, even COVID. Don't fear. Don't fear. What are they talking about? They're talking about the forgiveness of God. Outer quotes. Not preparing them at all. At all. I mean, come on, aren't you saved? Do you have to, do you have to, you read the book of Joshua? No, you don't have to open over there. First chapter, how many, let me go to chapter 1 of Joshua. Joshua chapter 1. Got chapter 1? Verse 6. Be strong. Word 7, be strong. Words 9, be strong. If my memory is right, the next 24 chapters, he will not tell him to be strong. That's it. That's it. Heard it three times? That's it. Go fight. But that's not today's children. They say they are Joshua generation, but every day you have to tell them, be strong. Be strong. God loves you. Be strong. Do not fear. Do not fear. Do not fear. Do not fear. Every forward you get is that. A morning devotion. How much God loves you. Come on. I know God loves me. You don't have to tell me all the time. I know every breath you take is the love of God and the kindness of God and the mercy of God. Can we go a little more further with God? Can we go further with God so that we can be useful in his hands? But that's the problem with children. They do not know. All they know is the forgiveness of sins. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. sin. And if you sin, okay, don't worry. Dada hai. Huh? Dada hai. Bada dada hai. Okay, don't worry. Don't worry. Okay, don't get so depressed and discouraged and go and kill yourself. Okay, no, no. Dada is still there. Okay. What do you have to tell them? Little children. 1 John 2.18 Little children, it is the last hour as you have heard that. You see, you cannot tell little children Christ is coming. You have to tell them Antichrist is coming. Eat, 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 okay? Police will come. Police will come. Eat, eat, eat. Police will come. See that how we feed our children? Yeah, that's how you feed in the church too. John is feeding the church. Little children, who is coming? <laughs> the older children, you have to tell them, Christ is coming. Yay, Christ is coming. I'm looking up. My redemption is near. Maratha, come Lord Jesus. Will you go with this man? Yes. Little children, Antichrist is coming. <laughs> in Hindi, we'll say, Jaldi khao, jaldi khao, soja, soja, bhoot aayenge, bhoot. Bhoot aayenge, bhoot. You see, we can identify children, right? Identify children. And God says, come on, come on, I've been waiting, waiting, grow up, grow up, waiting, grow up, grow up. He uses the final apostle, the kindest man to write to children. 1 John 3.10, then 17 and 18. 3.10. In this, 
the children of God and the children of devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. They, they struggle to walk in an overcoming life, practicing righteousness. They struggle to love. Struggle to love. Children struggle to love. They have a love, but they are very careful about whom they love. They cannot love everybody. Verse 17 and 18. Whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in the word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. You get a child, even if it's your own child, after it's grown a little time. Baby, mommy gave you cake? Yeah. Give daddy also a piece? Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it true? Isn't it true? When you tell that little one to give you a cake, he won't give a big piece. He will give you a pitch. Yeah. And he feels? Yeah. <laughs> What does a child do? He gives you a little pitch. That is how children give in the church also. Okay. That's how they give in church. I'm not talking about money. They how they give in church. Yet if Emanuela takes a big chunk from Abigail, they will complain so loudly. Who are the ones who complain so loudly in the church? The children. I took my peace. God says, they struggle to overcome sin. They struggle to really love. And you cannot love unless you have given. Because the very nature of love is keeps on giving, 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 giving. And they don't realize why they don't receive love. They are not able, they are surrounded by the love of God and not able to experience the love of God because the very nature of love is to give. And because they don't give, they don't experience The Pharisees were very careful about their tithing, what other and that which is under the law, they never gave. So they never experienced, wherever Jesus went, he always experienced the love of people because he was just giving and giving and giving and giving. What do you need? 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 Here, take. And children don't give. Children don't give. They struggle. So you have to identify the children. If we don't identify the children first, we will be stuck in the outer courts all our life, though we may be saved. And 1 John chapter 5 verse 21. Mm-hmm. The final word, little children, keep yourself or forsake idols. The problem with little children is they are prone to idolatry. They worship their feelings and they worship their opinions. Worship their feelings the problem. They don't worship truth. They worship their feelings. And if you hurt their feelings, you know, children can sulk, some of them. Boy, they can sulk. And grown-up children can sulk for days. They can sulk. Because they worship their feelings. That's idolatry. Idolatry is what is there in your flesh, which you cling on to. You cling on to. Okay. That's a picture 
God gave us sin when Moses went up the mountain. The only restraining influence in their midst was the father, Moses. Father Moses. The problem with the children was that as soon as father Moses disappeared, Aaron also, the child in Aaron came out. He also wanted to play with a calf. <laughs> the child came out. Suddenly all you know, all of them are running around the toy. Only the toy killed them. That's the problem. People who do not mature in faith, in love, and grow in Christ, they are prone to idolatry. What is idolatry? It's the worship of self. It's the worship of self. And you can walk with Jesus for three and a half years and still be a child. You know how they were fighting for positions? Say right, left, and all the others were also upset. John chapter 21 verse 5. He's risen. He's seen them. Children, this is, what did he call them in John chapter 15? I call you. He's talking about all prophetically. This is what you will all become, not what you are. I call you friends, no longer servants, everything from the father. I have told you and they think they have understood everything. They understood nothing. They're all pretending we are friends of Jesus. They're all, but reality is here. Reality strikes. Children, have you any food? What did he call them? Children. And some of them are older than him. Many of them are older than him. Okay. Verse 3. 21 verse 3. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. Forgotten call, forgotten everything. I am going fishing. Feeling. I feel fishing. All of them said, we are also coming. All the children are gone. Some other comes, waits over there and says, children, <laughs> father comes. <laughs> He's the father, no? You can't help him. Father is sitting by the lakeside and says, children, did you catch anything? They said, nothing. He said, if you had asked me, I would have told you, you are going to catch nothing. <laughs> Moral of the story, don't remain in the outer courts. Don't remain in the outer courts. And I'm talking to people and I'm talking to pastors. Don't sit in the outer courts. Because in the outer courts you have a false security. The false security comes a security of numbers. In the outer courts there are thousands and thousands of people. And you look at that. 600,000 people. We have to be right. All of them cannot be wrong. It's not possible. God cannot have given me a ministry where my church is so big and I be wrong. And Jesus was wrong. Moses was wrong. And Paul was wrong. The problem with outer courts. Crowds give you a false sense of security. And the problem with the kingdom of God, it is not democracy. Numbers have got nothing to do there. One person is right. Always right. Majority opinion doesn't matter. Does not matter. And never has mattered in the kingdom of God. Don't look at the numbers and find your security. Because you can get lost in the numbers. Because our destiny is 
to grow from a child first to a young man. And if you don't grow from a child to a young man, spiritually, the destiny is given in graphic pictures in the Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 5 and Jude 1 and 5. 10, 5 and 1, 5. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Why? They grew old. They did not grow up. They still remained as children. Children. Still remained as children. They acted like children, carnal, fighting, jealousy, envy, you name it. Everything was connected with the world. They were not interested in the things of God. They wanted the promised land. If you are given to the first generation, it's like the joke, you know, they talk about Lalu Prasad. You know, like a Japanese joke. Japanese came and said, asked Mr. Lalu Prasad, you know, these are jokes, you know. Uh, Give us Bihar, we will make it like Japan. So he said, give me Japan, I will make it like Bihar. I love what Bihar has changed now. It's like much, much, much more. Old days, you should have gone in Bihar. You guys have not been in Bihar. I've been to all these places, so it was like terrible. But point of the story, you see, the first generation had entered that same way into the promised land. They would have made it like Egypt. A few generations later, they made it like Egypt anyway. So they were all children. Children are always in the flesh. Okay? Always in the flesh. Jude 1.5 I wanted to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. He saved and destroyed. Okay, You will wander in the wilderness and you will die. Why? Because you did not prove from the outer courts into the holy place. At least get into the holy place. It's a safe place. You won't die wandering. Okay? So that's why God has put it out. He's put this um, this uh, picture in the old covenant. He's given the new picture in the new covenant. And he put us also as a three. Are you walking in the flesh? Are you walking in the soul? Or are you walking in the spirit? If you're walking in the soul, you're still safe. Still safe. But you're walking in your body, in your flesh. If it's your flesh, the outer court that is determining all your decisions and the choices you are making, then you are like an Israelite who came out. God brought you out, but he won't take you in. Meaning you will make it to heaven, but you will probably, if you remain at least holding on to your core f- belief. So if you look at the core, what is the most important weakness or the most terrible weakness of a child? If you look at the core fact, he has got good sides and he's got terrible things. What is the most difficult or most, the, it's, it's, it's weakest area of a child. It has no self-control. It's no self-control. That's why I told you, remember many times when I preached, I told mothers, one of the first things you teach a child is to train its will. All the desires of the flesh is there in everybody. As the whole oak tree is there in the seedling, everything a man or a woman will be is there in that baby. But the baby doesn't know any of those things except one thing. That's hunger. Food. That is where you start training a child to discipline it in its 
eating habits. And that is one area Isaac was not disciplined and the devil caught him later and almost destroyed his family with that one area. Self-control begins there. Teach regular habits. Eat what is good and not what you like. You teach the child early. And you will train that child to use its will, which is self-control over that, and then teach it to start applying it into other area. Principle is the same. Self-control, if you learn how to apply it in one area, all you have to do is take it. Okay, now you are grown up, you need, you don't have to sleep nine hours, ten hours, you have to change that. I'm gonna wake you up early tomorrow, I'm gonna wake you early day after tomorrow, you have just, the way you have taught you to eat, you learn to wake up. Little by little by little by you take this self-control and train that child in different areas. You have a Joseph ready to go and conquer the world untouched because he's got self-control. Potiphar's wife can jump and dance and do a natak over there. It's not going to move that man because he's been trained, trained in self-control. Daniel, you can put a spread above and from the Babylonian king's table. It's not going to move him because he has been trained how to exercise his will. And this is primary lessons we have to learn. And that was what God was trying. That's why he didn't, he didn't take them to the promised land. He took them into the wilderness to teach them to exercise your self-control. You need to have that will because when you go to that land, that land is exactly like the land where I took you. So you have to overcome that. No, they were saying, oh, we remember how we sat around the flesh pots of Egypt and we ate this and we ate that. Oh, wish we could go back. I said, you know what? These guys are going nowhere. These guys are going nowhere. So Proverbs 25, verse 17. 25 and verse 27. 25, 27, not 17. 25, 27. It's not... Oh, I got it wrong. He who does not have control over his spirit is better than the one who conquers a city. Whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. No control. No control. First Corinthians chapter 9, 24 to 27. Please remember, Saul of Tarsus, when he came to the Lord, was a young man. He was not an old man. He was not a middle-aged man. He was a very young man when he came to the Lord. You see that. In the book of, you have to go there, book of Acts, for those who do not know, when they all put their clothes at his feet so that they could stone Stephen, scripture says, at the feet of a young man called Paul. He was a young man. Next chapter you have him coming to the Christ, coming by chapter 9, he's in the Lord. Okay, so Paul says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. The first thing you need to realize is children are not in any race. They are not in any race. They have this idea that uh, automatically you will reach heaven and reign. They are not in any race. Nothing has been promised in heaven to anybody who doesn't finish their race, who does not overcome. Do you not know who run in a race all run, but one receives a prize? Run in such a way. That you may obtain it. 
everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. That means he's got self-control. One of the primary things that I will teach you in any sports, any field, you want to be successful, you need to be able to exercise control. Otherwise, you will not be successful. Any field in the world, how much more in the kingdom of God. You want to be really, 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 really successful. You will have to exercise control over the other things. Everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in, but they do not do it to obtain a perishable crown. He says, you know, all these people who are running after all these things, it's for a perishable crown. And after that, what? After what? 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 But we are running for something that is eternal, imperishable. So what does he say? Therefore, I run thus absolutely, very clear, not with uncertainty, and I fight it. What am I fighting? I am fighting myself every day. I'm fighting myself, my body, my feelings, all those things that is me pulling away from that goal in Christ Jesus. I'm fighting myself. Not as one who beats the air. I discipline my body. He exercises self-control and bring it into subjection. Otherwise, he says, I myself, I preach and lose my reward. Okay. So, child doesn't know this. So, we have to teach the child that. But the problem is it's easy in the home, not in the church. Because the children who are coming there are 40 and 50 years old. Already set in their ways. That's why it is easy to handle people when they get saved in their teenage. Young ones. It's easy to train them. But when a person comes to the Lord, when they are very old, the habit is already set. All their patterns are already set. Not that they cannot change. If they want to change, it will talk. It will cost a lot to them. They have to understand the concept about the kingdom of God. And they have to surrender. From behind the pulpit, the pastor can't do anything. With the young ones, you can tell them. Sit down. Listen there. Get your book. Get your pencil. Listen. Learn these habits. You can change them. But older people, it's very difficult. They have to decide. I am going to change. I am going to change. Otherwise, they give up very fast. A child, when it hears, gets very excited. And after that, it's easily distracted. Excited. If you look at the worship in all these big churches, you will think, my gosh, they are all overcomers. Five minutes after church is over, everything is forgotten. It's all gone. And you look at them, if you actually look at them, you will see that. I mean, you don't have to, I'm not judging them, but you judge, you can judge, man looks at the outward anyway. So you look at the outward, you realize nothing has changed. You look at them, the way they are dressed, Absolutely nothing different from the world. Absolutely. After all these years of ministry and hearing the word, nothing has changed outwardly. They look exactly and shamefully like the world. And the preaching is going on. And the jumping and the dancing and the worship, everything is going on. And they haven't understood the kingdom of God, the holiness, the righteousness, the Father, pleasing the Father. They understood nothing. That's the problem with the outer courts. And you cannot remain there. It's a very dangerous place to remain. In Second Timothy chapter 2 verses 1 onwards or 3 onwards when Paul tells his young disciple, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. He said telling you, you know what? This is a race. This is not a game. You have to finish it. Endure hardship as a good soldier. Learn to live hard. Second, no one encased in warfare entangles with the affairs of this life. 
but he may please him who enlisted him as he's got one thing. What is that? I want to please my CEO, my commanding officer, and my commanding officer is Christ Jesus. I want to please him. I want to please him. Very, very clear. I want to please him. I want to please him. Once he knows that he doesn't get entangled in all the things of this life. He's very, very focused. When he goes to the world, he's very focused. Do it, come back. When he comes back, he's very focused with the things of God. I want to please my God in everything that I do. He's focused. Anyone who competes in athletics, he's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. One of the things you learn in athletics or any sport is you learn the rules. Games has rules. So one of the things you learn is that, you know, I'm in a race. And there are rules of this race. You cannot run the way you like. The rules have been set by the master. And it is there in this book. I have to run according to that. If I don't, I'm not preaching all because all these things have been preached in the past. <laughs> Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Another thing a child has to do to become a young man. Since we have this cloud surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, that's Hebrews 11, all those so, there are two things you have to lay aside. What is that? Every weight. Every weight. And sin, which so easily ensnared. That, that is, because you are running with endurance, the race that is set. Only if you see the race, you will suddenly realize your what is your weight and what are your sins that blocks you. Like if you are in athletics and you are doing the 100 meter dash for India. And you are training for the Olympics. You don't grow your hair like Roshan. You'll keep it like Peter. You know why? Because that hair can take 0.23 seconds of this thing. And you're out. Already out of qualifier itself, you're out. You don't wear any garment that is heavy. The custom-made garments which are so light and aids the wind. Your shoes are custom made. Everything is custom made. Everything that is a weight, it's not a sin. It's a weight. Your hair is not a weight. a sin. But in this case, it is a weight. It is a weight. Sin is something else. Sin is That's what God is first talking about. Before I can do anything with your mind, will you offer your bodies as a living sacrifice? You want to run this race? You want to show me your will, show me your will, show me your will. He says, how can I show your will? Your body is still in the outer courts. What's the point showing you the will? Get your body in. Discipline in. If I see your body entering into the holy place, then I can start speaking to you and showing you your will. Because otherwise you will get excited and little later you will go back. So not work. We will all do it. Only let God speak through you. We will do it. Made a covenant with God. Little later they are all dancing around the calf. These are the same people. They made a covenant with God. In Exodus 32 they danced. In Exodus 20 they made a covenant with God in 19 and 20. Yes we will do. Yes we will do. Yes we will do. They made a covenant. That's why they died. Because they made a covenant with God. And God takes your word and my word seriously. And baptism is a covenant. Children. So we have to be very careful. We don't stay in the outer courts. And churches, sadly, even in our church, so many children. They have to be fed milk. Five minute clips. 
Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells... How are you? How old are you? 64. How long have you been in church? 33 years. You're still singing that same song, yes? Good for you. Galatians 4, verses 1 to 3. The fate of children when they reach heaven. You'll reach heaven. If your foundation was right. Scripture says everyone will go through fire and your works will be all burned. You will come through the fire. You will be a... What is the fate of children? Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave. Though he is a master of all. But he is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. Even so, when we were children, we were in bondage under the elements of the world. Elements of the world. You are a child. All this was yours. Daddy says this is all yours because I am. You are my child and this is mine. But you have to be under guardians. Because you did not come under age. You go to First Corinthians chapter 6 and you will see this incredible two statements made by 3 and 4 made by Paul. Chapter 3 is 6, 3 and 4. Do you know... Uh, go to 2. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, okay, first thing you need to realize, when Jesus comes back for the millennium reel, there's a whole lot of people who want to judge with him. He's not going to judge all these places. He will just sit in Jerusalem. I'm just presuming. He'll just sit in Jerusalem. But saints will be ruling the world on his behalf. Now the problem is a child is also a child, a saint. But the child saint will never rule. That's what he's talking about. You will reign. Thousand years of Jesus Christ, you missed it. Why? Because you did not grow. You are captivated by the basic elements of this world. You believed in Christ, but you lived in the outer courts. So, did you reign for thousand years of Jesus Christ? No. Then that is over. Millennial rail is over. Now the new creation begins. Revelation 21. That's the next words. Do you not know that we shall judge the angels? Judge means, do you know that we shall rule over the angels? Man is made a little lower than the angels now, but those who overcome will be put above the angels. So God has got this massive, massive universe, which is ruling with billions of angels, and he will put this overcoming in saints, and under them the angels. Rule on my behalf. Take over Mars. Take over Saturn. Take over this Milky Way. We don't know what is standing out there in the future. He said, do you know? You will rule... Saints will rule the world, saints will, but he says, because you are a child, under, stay under. You are destined to rule over angels. Judge means to rule, reigning. And he says, do you see the race? And what are you throwing it all away for? What are you all throwing, sitting in the outer courts, dancing around these calves, the idols of your heart? Have you caught the vision of the father? Did you catch what the father has for you? You know? And you don't want the children cannot handle. The problem with children is that children cannot handle anything that causes suffering to the flesh. They love promises, but they don't like the condition with the promises. Go to Romans chapter 8, verse 16 and 17. 8.16. 
the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. If children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and join heirs with Christ. If, indeed if we suffer with him, that we also may be glorified. That suffering part children don't like. Baba, read. How long should I read? I'm tired. Sit them, put them before the TV and put Cartoon Network. You'll never ask, Mommy, how long should I watch? Never says. It's over. Your ten minutes. Only ten minutes. Put them, do something which they don't like. It's suffering. For a child in the outer courts, everything in the holy place and the most holy place, things of God, is suffering. It's suffering. The things of the world is not suffering because the one in the outer courts is very close to the world. Very, very close to the world. That's the third, first deck of Noah's ark. The door is there, the world is there. You don't go up. If you go up, there's only one window out there. The light comes in only from the window. And on the top floor, there is light. Second floor, the light is less. Third one, ground floor, practically dark. Little light, very little light. And because you came from the world, you like that darkness. You like that darkness. Your belly is very close. That's what Paul will say in the Philippians, right? With To my tears, I'm saying, who's your God? Your belly is your strong. If you just practically, logically think, this ark is open, they're not humans, seven, eight humans went in, but animals representing what kind of people will get into the church. Who do you think went to the lower deck? All the creepy crawly thing, the alligator went there, the tortoise went there, the snake went there, the lizard went there. All of them went in. Why? Because they crawl. What is the significance of those who crawl? They crawl on their belly, meaning the belly is very close to the world. Second uh, middle flock, the ones who walk on their feet, they are little removed from the world, but they are on their feet. And who went up? The birds. The birds. That's the significance of these three. And it's a, it's a type of the people. And the, once the door is open, God says, I haven't stopped anybody from going up. You can go up, but you have to Separate yourself further and further from the world you had saved. Go up. And when you come onto the top deck, you have the birds. What are the birds? Birds live on the land, but they know their natural habitat is the air. They live in the land, but they were made for the air. And even there, there are two groups. Finally, when the ark comes to rest, he opens the window and he lets the raven out. The raven out never comes back. Never, because a raven doesn't come under authority. Once you receive a spiritual gift, you are taken off and gone and started your own church and gone your way. You never come back. But what is your ministry? You are eating on dead flesh that is floating outside. You have nothing of life to bring. Because you did not come under the hand of Noah. Raven is gone. And after that he takes a dove. And the dove is released. And the Tao goes around, doesn't find anything to rest. It comes back. And when it comes back, scripture says, Noah put his hand and grabbed it. Took it out. Brought it in. 
And after some time, he released it again. When it came back, it came back with life in his mouth. God says, that is the way it should be. Son of man came, born of woman, under the law, and he came and stayed under the hand of his father. When he was 30, the father released him. He didn't step out one day before he was released. And when he came back, he brought life, life eternal. This is the pattern I'm talking about, he says. Real life is in the top floor. Real life is in the most holy place. Go up, go up, go up, because there is life. Don't stay lower, because remember, the world is there. The world is there. And the world is very close. Unlike Noah's ark, the door is not shut. It is open. It is open. Everything was symbolically given over to them. Like you have the picture in the wilderness, the tabernacle absolutely bang in the middle with these outer courts, and then the holy place, most holy place, the presence of God was there in the most holy place from where, and you have these four sides, and you have the tribes and the Levites surrounding this, but what you see is that there is only one gate into the camp. The camp gate was in the east. Only one gate. The gate was in the east. And every man of Israel, when he entered into the camp of Israel, he came in through the east gate, meaning he was turning his back to the gods of the east because the sun rises in the east and everybody worshipped the sun. And sun was the main god in Egypt too. So he was turning his back to the god of Egypt and turning his face to the god of Israel. That's how he came in, turning his back to the world. Only one entrance there too. That's what God is talking about. That's what God is trying to teach us. This is a walk. It's a walk of faith. Abel. Okay, we're beginning with Abel. But if you begin with Abel and after that you're moving into Enoch and Enoch is going to start a walk. What is this walk? Where are we walking from and to what are we walking? We need to know very carefully. Clearly, am I walking in my flesh? Am I walking with this intellectual, this thing alone? Or am I walking in the spirit. And if I'm walking in the spirit, then I need the spirit, I need the soul, I need my feelings too. But the spirit comes first, and the intellect comes second, and the feelings comes. All three are there. It is not getting rid of it. But feelings come in the beginning. There is neither spirit nor intellect over there. It is feelings. Intellect comes over there, then you are like a Pharisee. Neither spirit nor feelings. You look at the compassion of the people, all you want to say is judgment. Now, this fellow must have sinned. Woe unto him. That's what you want to say. And you have never heard. God is standing right before your eyes. You are not able to recognize him because you have intellect. You have intellect. And God says, that's not what I called you for. That's not what I called you for. I called you to come into my presence and then go from there. Come into my presence and go from there. That was Moses. And that's why Moses' ministry encompassed the end entire crowd. He could meet the priests, he could meet the people, and he had compassion for all, yet he was very zealous to protect the righteousness and the light of God. Balanced it. God is calling a people to arise like that, to stay, to grow, to move. Otherwise what will happen? This season too will pass. And we did not, we prepared for COVID-19. We did not prepare for that one eventuality all of us will face which is called judgment. So rewards. For us, judgment doesn't mean wrath, because we are not uh, prepared, we are not being set apart for wrath of God, we are being set apart for the rewards of God. And the question is, 
Do we, are we preparing for the reward? That's what Paul is talking about. Everyone who runs that race. Everyone who runs the race. So as we come to the end, when you live in the old covenant, <coughs> whatever you hear, see, not old covenant, sorry, outer courts, whatever you hear or see, you actually interpret it with the flesh, with the emotions and with the idols in your heart. The same message can go out and be interpreted completely differently by three groups of people. Absolutely differently by three groups of people. Same message. And we can think about how can somebody get three radically different depending on where you are. If you are a person who lives on your emotions, you will take this message and take it completely differently. And if you look at the children of Israel, to everything God said and did, you think nothing steadfast, nothing that is linear or something that is what you call. They would jump, they would dance, they would murmur and they would complain. There was nothing steady about them. Jesus Christ would be right sitting there in your living room and preaching to you and you would murmur against him and finally come out and accuse him for not releasing your sister. And you cannot, you cannot move on unless you deal with your flesh. In First Peter 4.1, Peter will say this, 4.1, For since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourself also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. And you have to look at it that way. That's why the son Phineas and sons of Korah and Moses and all were there. They died to their flesh when it came to things of their own. Absolutely died to the flesh. The things of their own. They would not. You have to. Otherwise we will not move forward. You will be caught in your outer courts and die in the outer courts. How will you go forward? Because scripture says, whatever is not of faith is sin. If you, will, you can either move in the flesh or in faith. And we'll die in the wilderness. Though we have heard all these things and God has given an unbelievable opportunity to the people, the church and the world, to get together, identify your flesh, your feelings, all those things. And it still doesn't work. Still doesn't work. And that's the first, first battle we are going to cross before we can go to go to young men and tomorrow you'll go to young men and before we go to young men let us just look at genesis 30 verse 24 and 25 and we shall close Father Jacob had ten sons, twelve sons and a daughter. Eleventh is not born yet. Ten signifying the number of law. An under lawyer always a slave, a prisoner of your flesh, serving another master. 
though he is related to you, are a slave to the one you are related to, your father-in-law slave you are. Serving his father-in-law, serving his four wives, two wives and two concubines. He is just a slave. That is what Jacob. They even bargain and buy his body. Tonight you are with me. Tonight you are there. That's that's a slave. He owns nothing. That's Jacob. And he's got 11 sons. The 10 sons represent the law. Scripture says he has his 11th son. She named him Joseph and said, The Lord shall add to me another son. And it is written in verse 25. It came to pass when Rachel had born Joseph, that Jacob said to Laban, send me away, that I might go to my own place and to my country. That's one of the first signs of grace. When grace comes in, you want to go back to your actual land. Under the law, you are a slave. But when Joseph number 11, grace comes into your life, you realize, I am not destined for this place. I am destined for another place. I am not destined to be a slave to my flesh. I am supposed to be Serving another person and in another place. That's how grace comes. If you haven't received that grace, then you haven't understood grace. That's why Timotheus will say, the grace of God has appeared to all men teaching. That's the first lesson Jacob gets in the land of Haran. This is not my destiny. My destiny is there. Let me go. When does he say that? When Joseph is born. When grace comes into his life. That is the first time Joseph is mentioned in the Bible. And from there on, you go through the history of Joseph, you will see it's a history of overcoming. But you cannot overcome until you realize, I'm not meant to be a child. I'm meant to be a young man first. Young man first. Tomorrow we will look at how does a young child become a young man or a young woman in the Lord. You could be 80 years old and can become a young man. Moses became a young man only at the age of 70. Sorry, Abraham became a young man only at the age of 75. Until 75, he also was caught in Haran because his flesh was attached to his father and he could not be moved by God to his promised land. So his father had to die. In 75, he crosses and he becomes a young man and all his tests are recorded. The tests of a child is not recorded in the Bible. It's irrelevant. You are a child anyway. What do you want to write about a child's test? Nothing about any child's test is written in the Bible. The tests of young men are recorded because it is only young men who are in a race, who are in a battle. Only they will learn from the lives of these people. You don't learn anything from the life of a child. So you don't see childhood records of anybody, including Jesus Christ. Nothing. Except little Samuel over there. Even Joseph's, you don't know anything except from the age of 17. And when he steps in, he steps in as a young man. Ready to overcome. Battle begins. So you have the record of Abraham only from 75 when he steps in. Meaning childhood is over. Flesh is over. Now he is moving. Now he is moving. And both the times he deceives his wife, it is not because of flesh. It is because of fear. It's a failure in the soul, not a failure in the body. You understand. It is not like Samson going to Delilah. This is not that. It is fear has got into his head. It is fear. That is not in the flesh. That is in the soul. He fails there. So understand the lessons. Otherwise you read the Bible. They are just stories. And we don't listen. The lessons in the Bible are all for young men. 
children learn no lessons. All you tell children is, zip your lips, sit down and learn. What can I do in the church, pastor? And you move the chairs around. <coughs> Good for you. Why? You're learning to obey. The first lesson you have to learn. First lesson. That's a lesson Jesus learned to obey his parents, subject to his parents. Learn these lessons. Learn these lessons. Learn these lessons. Okay? Amen. Love you, my children. All the ones, wherever you are. GTC Hyderabad, when the lockdown is over, that is when I will appear in your lives. And you shall have a test. You never know. I may really give you a question paper in the church with answers there. Objective three options. Everybody. And see what did you do in this 21 day lockdown. Shall we pray? Father, we just come to you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. We just want to say we love you, Lord. We love you, we love you, we love you, Lord. I pray, Father, the evening sessions for us to move from one place to another. The morning sessions, oh Lord, to young men to grow zealous for the Lord, to fight this good fight of faith. People will receive it all, Father. There will not be slack concerning the things of God. Nobody will be slack concerning the things of God, oh Lord. That you would teach them, teach them, teach them, Lord, teach them. That they would learn to put first things first. Unlike the children of Israel who lost a temporary inheritance, we will lose an eternal inheritance. What has been promised to us is not what was promised to them. What has been promised to us is eternity and to reign with Christ in eternity, to inherit forever. And I pray, Father, people who are already in the kingdom will take heart and discipline themselves. Allow the Spirit of God to show them areas in their life where it is all flesh and put to death the works of the flesh. Put emotions down. Stop listening and hearing the word with your emotions. But surrender both soul and body and say, Lord, speak to my inner man. Quicken my inner man, Lord. By the same spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead. To boldly pray, give me the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Open the eyes of my understanding. This is not a college. This is not an intellectual exercise you are doing with your children. This is the Spirit of God contending with the spirits of men. And you said in your word, my spirit shall not contend with man forever. Like you just left the children of Israel to their own devices that they wandered and died, yet you fed them. You will leave your people also like that. He said, it's enough, you are not interested in my teaching I will leave you to your flesh, eat and die. I won't starve you because you are my children. I won't let you cross the Red Sea again because death waits for you there. I won't do that. I'll be faithful even when you are unfaithful. But you will not cross over the other river too. Pray, Father, children will wake up. And stop murmuring and stop complaining. And stop hearkening back to those old days of the world. 
But look forward and press on for what you took hold of us, Lord. Let these days be the defining days of our life. Absolutely defining, life-changing days of people who are prepared for God and for His kingdom. To that cause, I surrender all of us who are hearing, Lord. Be with each one. Be with each one, Lord. And I take authority in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I commit all the dear ones in these last days during this lockup. So many have come to the Lord. So many have come to the Lord. New believers from so many places. They have been set free, have come to the Lord. And I bring them under the covering of the blood of Jesus. And I pray, Father, especially for them, you would send your warring angels to protect them. Wherever they are, protect them. Surround them with your glory. Cover them. No weapon that is formed against us will prosper. Every lying tongue that rises against us in judgment, I condemn it in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Every lodge where rituals are going on against us, your body of Christ. Let all their rituals fall to the ground. Let the fire of God of Elijah come down and consume all the wicked works that is happening over there. Their eyes will be blinded. They will try to use the demonic to see your people. Their eyes will be blinded and the demons will just go down and hide themselves. Because you have given us that authority that what we bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. The prophets of Baal can cut themselves from morning till evening. Not one of the demons in the second realm will move. We bind you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Even if hand join hand with hand, evil join with evil, you will not prevail. That's the word that God has spoken. You will not prevail over God's people. They may have been born yesterday. They have been been with the Lord for 50 years. It's irrelevant. You will not prevail over God's people. All your plans will fall to the ground. Every demon you have released will run back to you and destroy the ones who have sent them. They will not touch God's people. For God has given us the power to trample upon snakes and scorpions. You can gather, you can chant, you can call, you can cast spells. It will not come near us. We are covered and we are surrounded by His glory. He has sent his angelic host to protect his people. And they stand guard over his people from our smallest babies to the oldest. They stand over our people, watching over them day and night. We will rest in the Lord. Rest in his purposes. And our eyes will be fixed on Christ Jesus and Jesus alone. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Father, for the victory we have in Christ Jesus. For your word says you take us in triumph in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for that victory. For the battle belongs to the Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. We just thank you. We just praise you. We just worship you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Commit everything and everyone into thy hands. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen.